I'm just really honored to be here tonight and get to share with all of you. It's a, a huge honor, and I don't take it lightly at all. Um, so I'm just really excited to be here and speak to you guys tonight. And what I feel like I, uh, the Lord's put on my heart is to talk about identity. And um, I think people in our society especially are constantly going around labeling us, passing verdicts on us. And I think, you know, labels can be really insignificant and non-important. Does anybody play Wordle? Any Wordlers? Yeah, come on. Yeah, I got mine in three this morning. How'd y'all do? Yeah. Um, but labels can be really insignificant, like Wordle score or like New York Times mini crossword puzzle. I do that every night too. Time I do that in. Yeah, come on. But yeah, so labels can be really meaningless, but they can also be more important. Like for me, a label for me, Mountain Brook, Alabama, where I'm from. Yeah, GSG, let's go. But pre-med, Furman, quarterback, football. But labels can also be a lot, a lot more important than that. And I think for me, one of the hardest things I've uh, dealt with since being at Furman has just been, um, it's been the biggest blessing, but also one of the biggest difficulties in my life has been sports, playing football. And <laughs> for all the football guys, you all know this, but like a lot of our time, energy, and effort in the day is spent at the football facility, like in the weight room, on the field. And it's hard in those moments, you know in your head, you know that's not where your identity comes from. That's not what your identity is. But in those moments, when you're at, at practice, you have a bad practice, it's hard not to define yourself in that day based off of how that practice went or how, if you're starting that week, if you're not starting that week, if you, what your coach says about you. I mean, I still vividly remember some things coaches have said to me that really affected me. Um, but I've realized really through all of playing sports, one of the biggest things I've realized is life's, life is full of good labels. Life is full of bad labels because life is full of ups and downs. And I think to illustrate this point, I thought I'd show two of the plays in my athletic career that have been the best of the best and the worst of the worst. And so I'll start with the worst of the worst because I think y'all might appreciate this. Hold on, don't play it yet. Don't play it yet. Don't play it yet, Julian. But before I show this, this was in high school when I played basketball. I was a baller. Um, but <laughs> this was in high school. And yeah, I should have I paid more attention to the scouting report in high school because I very, very vividly remember on the board, in the whiteboard, it said, Barrett Jean Luis, I still remember his name. He plays for Iona, if y'all can look him up. He's, he's pretty good, but um, <laughs> said, Barrett Jean Luis jumps like Russell Westbrook. And so just play the video. <laughs> It gets worse. The more times you watch it, it just gets way worse. Here we go. Here we go. Shot got blocked. Actually, the more times I watch it, it gets worse and worse. But there are a lot of bad things about that. I remember right after that going to Chick-fil-A for our post-game meal. We won that game 80 to 35, by the way, but nobody cares about that. Um, <laughs> thanks. <laughs> uh, we went to Chick-fil-A after, and our coach was huge. He preached like taking charges. So I was trying to, was trying to take a charge, right? And uh, I was like so embarrassed. 
And they were like, hey, you can go in the front of the line and you can get your Chick-fil-A first. Like, great job trying to do the right thing in this scenario. Like, really proud of you. And all my other teammates were just like, giving me such a hard time. <laughs> oh, you're in the front of the line. But, <laughs> so the worst part about this was, the, was Instagram, actually. Because I don't know if y'all know, like, overtime, flow hoops, like, accounts with millions of followers. The comments were brutal. There were people like with blue check marks commenting like, commenting like, this man needs some milk. Or like, <laughs> or <laughs> they said, they said uh, like he should hang up his basketball shoes or he should never play sports ever again in his life and stuff like that. And it was like, it's hilarious now. But like in the moment I was like, dang, this really stinks. Like this is no fun. But obviously people from that specific moment in time can label me in a very specific way. Now we're gonna kind of flip the gear just cause I gotta get some self esteem back before we finish this message. But this is the, not necessarily the best play I've ever been a part of in my career, but it's one of the most memorable and definitely one of the most um, recognized. So let's play this one. College football seven, Furman taking on Chattanooga, late fourth. Furman trying to run out the clock. Abrams takes the handoff and yeah. stops. Sisson pushes the ball, Abrams breaks free for a touchdown, Furman. So that plays a lot more fun for, for me, but not nearly as much fun for y'all. But, you know, that was great. That was an awesome play. Lots of recognition. That was fun. But at the end of the day, that label is not what truly defines me either. Like, if someone's labeling me based off that one play, first of all, that's not sustainable. And second of all, that's not who I am at my core. But what I'm, the reason why I showed both of those plays is because at the end of the day, Throughout our lives, we have hundreds and hundreds of labels and verdicts that people put on us and pass on to us, and they can give us ideas in our life about what makes us acceptable. You know, what makes us fit in, what makes us likable, what makes us us, what makes you fun, whatever. But I think we have to be really, really careful about the labels that we choose to listen to and the labels we choose to um, live our lives by. And so tonight I want to go through uh, two passages, um, both written by Paul, one in Romans and one in Philippians. But first one is Romans 10, 1 through 4. And Paul's writing this letter, um, Romans as a whole, to the Gentile and Jewish population in Rome. But specifically in Romans 10, he's writing to the Jewish population. And, and uh, Paul was Jewish too, so he's writing to people that he really cares about. And he says this, Romans 10, 1 through 4. Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. Since they do not know the righteousness of God and sought to establish their own righteousness, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Christ is the culmination of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. So Paul's really telling us this. In our lives, we have two choices. We can submit to God's righteousness or we can seek to establish our own righteousness. And you know, our worldly sense of righteousness might be like what makes us acceptable. As long as people are labeling me in a certain way, then I'm acceptable, then I fit in. As long as people are passing certain verdicts on me, I'm going to make sure I do and continue to do those things so that those labels are still passed on me. So I'm acceptable. So I'm righteous. But in a Christian sense, righteousness is being right with God. So Paul's telling us this. There are two options. This is the identity crisis that they faced in Rome 2,000 years ago. 
and this is the identity crisis we still face today in our world. We can seek to establish our own righteousness, or we can submit to the righteousness of God. And Paul later goes on in Scripture and he tells us, and if you seek to establish your own righteousness, those attempts are futile. And all I have to do in my life is just look at tons of examples of me trying to establish my own righteousness to see that those, that's true. It's like, I'm a perfectionist by nature. I try to do everything right. I try to do everything perfect. And I fail all the time, obviously. It's impossible. No matter how hard I try, I'm a sinner and I'm incapable of establishing my own righteousness. I think another thing that's really powerful about this verse is the language in it. Seek versus submit. Seek versus submit. One of these is a really, really active verb. Seek. The other is, seems more passive. Submit. And for me, I'm a doer. Like, I like to go do things. I like to be in control. I don't like to submit. Submission, the idea of submitting to something, makes me really uncomfortable. And I don't know, <laughs> people that know me well know this about me, but my biggest fear is flying. I hate flying. If y'all were on a plane with me while we were flying, y'all would all make fun of me. Because turbulence hits and I like grip the, the like handles next to me in my seat, or like I put my hands in front of me, like somehow that's gonna like get rid of the turbulence or something. <laughs> I don't know. But it's because I'm so, I'm incapable in that moment of submitting to the authority of the pilot. It's like I literally cannot, uh, I love to be in control so much. But as Christians, we're called to submit and come humbly before God, before the Lord. We can't measure up on our own. So submitting to God's righteousness, that's great. But what does make us right with God? Verse 4 says, Christ is the culmination of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Christ is the fulfillment of the law and he offers salvation to those who believe in him. Through submitting to God's righteousness, we're understanding that Christ did for us what we can never do for ourselves. Christ came to earth, he lived a perfect life, and then he died on the cross for our sins, and then in that moment, the veil, the veil in the temple was torn so that we could have a relationship with God. That's incredible. Christ is the fulfillment of the law and offers salvation to those who believe in him. So before we go to the next um, passage of Scripture, I want to ask a question. I want you all to think about this, and then I'm going to give an example of how I felt it to be true in my life. But have you ever felt like you've been in a situation when you're doing all the right things and you haven't been adequately rewarded? Like you're doing everything right, and you feel like you're not getting what you deserve? For me, sometimes playing football here, like that's been the case for me. You know, spend all the hours in the weight room, all the hours on the field, all the hours practicing, studying film, learning the plays, whatever. And the re result on Saturday wasn't always exactly what I wanted. It wasn't exactly what I had in mind every single time. Sometimes it was, but not every single time. I think that understanding of just feeling like everything we're doing is the right thing is good it's um, just a good mindset for us to, before we go into this next passage that Paul writes to the church in Ephesus. And Paul's writing from prison um, to the church, sorry, church of Philippi, Philippians. So Philippians 3, 3 through 9. Paul says this, For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, 
who boast in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Right off the bat, Paul's telling us, don't put your worth in the labels of this world. Don't put your confidence in the flesh. Don't do it. Verse 4, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. This is kind of funny. I think this is kind of funny because Paul's kind of, he's about to like flex on everybody in the, in the, uh, like the realm of like the Pharisees and, and everybody. Like I'm, I did everything better than all of you guys. Like I did it better. He says, I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee. Everyone in his family of Pharisees too. As for zeal prosecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. Paul's saying, I literally did everything right according to the law. But then he kind of switches. Verses 7 through 9, he says this. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I know that was a long passage, but we're going to get into it a little bit. So there's nobody more qualified in terms of the Old Testament, in terms of Jewish culture than Paul. He was by far the most qualified. But Paul also recognized and realized, we can see in this verse, that that's not what made him righteous before God. And that came from his faith alone. You know, in society, he was labeled as a great Jewish man. He had all these positive, good labels passed on him. But he says this meant nothing. He counted it all loss. I don't know if you all noticed this, but this is something that really fascinates me when I read the Bible is there are all these great like dichotomies. You know, there's these things that in the Bible we're told one thing and it kind of surprises us because our society tells us something completely different. Like we were already told in the um, passage from Romans, like seek versus submit. In our society, in our world, we're told to seek out everything. Like just think about us in college right now. Ever since we get here, we're talking about the firm and advantage, our four-year pathway. Like, what internship are you getting? What's your major? What's gonna, your job going to be? Like, you, 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 you. And God's calling us to submit to him. There are a lot of other examples, too. The last shall be first and the first shall be last. That makes no sense. But what Jesus does through the Bible is he, he encourages us to look upwards to him and then outwards to other people. And he completely changes our focus from ourselves to others. Turn the other cheek. How's that fair? How's that just? It's a different way of thinking. And Paul's giving us another dichotomy in this passage too. He's saying that all the labels he has been given are worthless compared to the way he is labeled now that he is in Christ. All the labels that he has been given about a good Jewish man following the law, they're all worthless. They mean nothing now that he is identified in Christ. I love Philippians 3.8. It's saying, I mean, he literally just went through all of his um, human accomplishments and he discards them as loss for the sake of Christ. Regardless of any worldly success he has, his hope was found in knowing Christ Jesus as Lord and living for him. I think that's cool. Like a, a big main takeaway I had from this passage is that when we understand and submit to God's righteousness, 
our identity and our purpose change. Our identity and our purpose change. That's exactly, we, we just read two passages from Paul. That's exactly what happened to Paul. It's when he understood God's righteousness, his identity was changed. Paul, before he was Paul, was Saul. He persecuted Christians. He did everything he could to dismantle Christianity, to kill Christians, to get rid of the church. Because for him, Christianity, in his mind, was against everything that he believed previously. That the, the way to salvation was through following the law. And this Jesus guy was messing everything up. But it was through a face-to-face encounter with the risen Jesus that Paul, Saul, was transformed to Paul. Something happened to Paul, and Paul's testimony is a direct, a direct example of an experience he had with Jesus. Those are our, that's our stories, too. You know, his identity was changed and his name was changed. His purpose was changed. And when we understand God's righteousness and we submit to that righteousness, all of a sudden we become a, a part of a, like a much bigger story than just ourselves, than just me, me, me. Now it's about what is God doing in our world and how can I be a part of it? It's about God and the story he's writing. We get to be a part of it and we get to bring other people along with us too. Help other people experience the righteousness of God. For me in my life, there's nothing that's been more fulfilling than experiencing the love and the goodness of God. There's been nothing that's become close. And I think understanding righteousness has also helped me understand exactly who I am and what my purpose is on this earth. It's helped me understand that, you know, I'm a perfectionist, like, I like to be in control. But no matter what, I'm never going to be enough. No matter how hard I try. Like, and I try. I fall short every day. But that's okay. It's helped me understand that I'm weak, but in my weakness, God is strong. I love the, um, this verse. And my weakness gives opportunity to God to show his strength. I love this verse. Uh, Paul again, 2 Corinthians 12, 10, 12, 9 and 10. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why for Christ's sake, I delight in my weakness and in insults and in hardships and persecutions and difficulties. There it is again, another dichotomy. Delight in weakness, delight in insults and in hardships and persecutions and difficulties. That goes so much against what our society tells us. That's so different. One of my life verses, too, is James 1, 2 through 4. It says, Consider it pure joy, brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. Pure joy, trials. Jesus completely flips the script, and he completely changes how we begin to think about our identity. You know, for me, this past year has been the most challenging by far year of my life. It's been the hardest year of my life, really the past like 11 months. I've experienced a lot of loss in a lot of different areas of my life, and it's been super hard. Um, it's been hard and it's been painful. And in some ways right now in this moment, like I feel so unqualified to be up here talking to you guys. I just know God's working in so many different ways in my life, and like I don't know where he's taking me in some ways. But I was talking to somebody recently, and they read this quote, and it was really powerful. They said, 
God doesn't call the qualified. God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. You know, Paul wasn't qualified, or Saul wasn't qualified. He was, Paul, he was Saul. He was persecuting Christians. God called him. One of my favorite books is called More Than a Carpenter. It's an apologetic, Christian apologetics book. If you're um, interested in like why Christians believe what they do, I really recommend it to you. It's a really, really cool book. Um, but it says this, The conversion of Paul was one of the most fruitful events since the miracle of Pentecost, and it secured the universal victory of Christianity. God used Saul to secure the universal Christ victory of Christianity. If he can use Saul, he can use you and me in our weakness, in our current state, in our inability to add up, in our inability to be enough. He can use us. He just calls us to come humbly before him and submit to his righteousness. And I want to end with this. What has been really, really impactful for me, especially recently, as I've thought about the idea of identity, has been thinking about who God is. I've been thinking about the character of God because at the end of the day, you know, our identity as humans comes from like our parents' genetics in some ways, like nature versus nurture. Our identity, our, who we truly are, comes from our creator, which is God, and comes from the character of God. And so I, what I want to do is I want, I want everyone to close your eyes, close your eyes, and just think about some of these questions that I'm about to read off, and then I'm going to go through some of the names and the character of God. And before I do, um, I'm just going to read these questions. Where have you seeked to establish your own righteousness in your life? Where have you fallen short in your attempts? Where have you seeked to establish your own righteousness? And where have you fallen short in your attempts? And this is who God is according to the, New, to the Old Testament. Jehovah Jireh means the Lord will provide. God gives us exactly what we need. He sustains and cares for his children. Jehovah Ra, the Lord was my shepherd. God leads, guides, and directs us, and he leads us beside still waters. Jehovah Rapha, the Lord that heals. God will heal our hurt, mend our brokenness, and fill us with his love. Jehovah Sidkenu, it can be translated as the Lord who is our righteousness. That's what we've talked about tonight. God offers us a relationship with him through his son, Jesus. There is no striving. There is no seeking for our own righteousness when we submit to God's righteousness. Jehovah Shalom, the Lord is peace. God gives us a peace that surpasses all understanding. He is always with us. Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Ra, Jehovah Rapha, Jehovah Sidkenu, Jehovah Shalom. The Lord will provide. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord heals. The Lord is our righteousness. The Lord is peace. You guys can open your eyes. I really think um, that's been important for me recently has just thinking in my life, where am I trying to establish my own righteousness? Where am I not trusting God? In what ways do I need to look at the character of God and see that I'm trying to do what only God can do in my life? What ways do I need to submit to God and stop seeking my own righteousness? I challenge you guys to act on those thoughts too challenge you guys to act on that. I want to close with this final verse, and this is one of my favorite verses in all of all the scriptures, but it's Colossians 3.23, and it says this, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart 
as if working for the Lord, not for human masters. You know, what you do is really important. What we do is important. It matters to God. Working hard is important. Doing our best is really important. But we're not doing this to be positively labeled by other people. That doesn't mean anything. Paul says he counts it as loss. We do these things. We do it with all our heart to be a part of God's bigger story. We do it to honor the Lord. So let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you for this day. I just thank you for the chance to get to uh, share what's been on my heart recently, um, share about identity. And I just ask that you can help us to understand that we don't have to seek. We don't have to continue seeking and chasing and, and trying our hardest to be perfect and control everything because we know we're going to fall short. Help us to submit to your righteousness. Help us to submit to your plans for our lives and lead, guide, and direct all of our thoughts and all of our actions, Lord. We're so grateful for you and who you are. We're so grateful that you sent your son to do what we couldn't do, live a perfect life on this earth, and then die on the cross so that we could have a relationship with you, God. We're so incredibly thankful. We're thankful for who you are. We're thankful that you are our provider. You're our shepherd. You heal us. You're our righteousness. You're our peace. You're so many more things too, God, and we're so grateful. I just ask that you um, help us to continue to to just share your word on this campus and just continue to live every single day honoring and worshiping you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.